Star Wars. You and your children loved it. Now the Earthlings at Kenner have asked my associate and me to present the Star Wars collection. Truly remarkable toys and games for your children. What are you so excited about now? My goodness, the Star Wars TIE Fighter and X-Wing Fighter. Now your children can relive our great space battles or collect our wonderful Star Wars companions with Kenner's Star Wars action figures. R2, it's a little you. Kenner's new radio-controlled R2-D2 anyone can command. Ah, the Star Wars land speeder that moves like it's floating. And here's Kenner's Death Star space station, four floors of action. A trash compactor, too. Listen, R2. That's the Star Wars electronic laser battle, a game of speed, reflex, and reaction. These and other toys and games in Kenner's Star Wars collection are sold separately. Batteries are not included. May the Force be with you and your children. Okay, okay. Welcome to Galaxy of Toys Podcast, the discussion about Star Wars toys of the past, present, and future. This is our 12th episode. My name is Jason. Joining me tonight from IGrewUpStarWars.com, our very own OT curmudgeon, Tom. Hello, Tom. Good day, everyone. Good to be here. Hello. Hello. Also joining us from JediBusiness.com, it's Chris B. Hello, Chris. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> good. From Bendoms to the Black series, he collects them all. Our good friend Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Also joining us tonight, our special guest co-host, author Mark Palomo. He's written such books as Totally Tubular 80s Toys and The Ultimate Guide to G.I. Joe Action Figures. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi. Out there in radio land, listeners <laughs> and other people. Remember, if you want to contact us, you can always email us at galaxyoftoys at gmail.com or just connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash galaxyoftoys. So let's start the show tonight with a quick uh, announcement. Uh, Celebration 7 has was confirmed at the Celebration Europe 2. And uh, looks like it's going to be in Anaheim, California, April 16 through 19, 2015. And the tickets go on sale, it looks like this August, August 7th, which seems kind of early, but hey, I, I don't know. Uh, Tom, going to Anaheim? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, I think uh, all of us are pretty happy that it's uh, on the West Coast again. Uh, I couldn't be uh, more pleased. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Making plans already. All right. Chris B. Oh, totally. Totally, totally, totally. And Ryan. Uh, very excited about it. Uh, as far as ticket sales, though, I've got to wait to see about volunteering as I've done the last two uh, celebrations. Mm-hmm. But extremely excited to have it on the West Coast again. All right. I believe I'm going as well. Mark, uh, do you attend the celebrations? I Usually around that time of the year, I'm, I'm pretty booked when it comes to not only writing work, but my real job at a university. So... Um, I think beginning next year I will start going because I've heard so many good things from a friend of mine, Shane, Shane Turgeon. So uh, I, I think I'd be a fool not to start attending them regularly. <laughs> Shane, a good guy, and Mark, uh, if he tells you to go, you go. It's uh, yes. it's a great time, and I, I'm sure it's a shoe in. You're gonna you're gonna love it. Yeah, I've gone to the last two celebrations, and I've had a t- just a ton of fun. All right, with that, let's move on to our main uh, focus discussion tonight, which is going to be 
Kenner's first push of merchandise on U.S. retail shelves. And we're kind of calling this products, rele- products released during the LP era. Um, this is the uh, late 77 through 78 period where most of Kenner's products said LP on the packaging, like a blue, uh, a little blue seal. And it said LP Toys. This toy has been fun tested under action play conditions to assure you of quality, reliability, safety, and long-lasting play. Long-playing toys. Mark, um, we talked just a little bit before the show started about this seal. Um, any uh, any insight on what was going on with this seal at the time? Well, you know, I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes with, with the bidding war for... Um getting the rights for toy companies, getting the rights to produce Star Wars toys. But I know that when Kenner uh, obtained the rights for Star Wars, they, they probably, their heads probably exploded because they were so happy. And, you know, Kenner is essentially a, a subsidiary of a Fortune 500 food processing company. They're a subsidiary of General Mills. Anyone who's ever dipped their spoons into the wonderful monster cereals, Count Chocula and Boo Berry and... Um, and Frankenberry and formerly Fruit Brute and Yummy Mummy knows that Zeppelin mm. Mills produced the monster cereals, and it just so happened with the money they were making from the monster cereals and other uh, foods, they they you know had had that kind of subsidized their toy line. So I think when they got that Star Wars license, they really wanted to let people know, let let consumers know that their toys were sturdy, that their toys were you know you. You, if you've ever opened a, a, a box, I don't want to say open a mint and sealed box Star Wars toy because that's that's akin to, to playing economic suicide. But if you've ever opened a box Kenner toy and you see, you know, we trust these toys. You you when you open up like a, a Death Star space station or another toy, and you realize that if you're missing parts, you could mail Kenner uh, and get those parts that you were missing. Sometimes for free, they were they were pretty cool about that. And I think this LP logo um, that they put on the packages in, in 77-78 probably had more to do with encouraging the consumer that what they were buying was was a, a good, sturdy toy. And they were. I mean, God, you can find land speeders. Other than the windshield, they're usually pretty intact. Um, I'm curious to, to, to hear what you guys think about that. Do you think it was a confidence thing putting that LP logo on the Star Wars toys? Uh, Mark, my feeling on that logo, logo, it was kind of like the um, uh, what was the uh, what was is it the good housekeeping seal of approval that gets put on yes. products? It yes. kind of reminds me of that. And before Star Wars, I was into uh, six million dollar man figures, the twelve inch line or thirteen inch line. And yep. uh, I have every figure from the line. I love it. Yeah, and and I believe those products have the exact same seal. They do. I just looked at a Mascatron earlier today. <laughs> and I think um, you know, perhaps after the first year of product or even less than that, they you know, Star Wars is such a hit. Maybe they didn't you know, maybe they decided they didn't need the seal anymore. I'm not sure why they kind of got rid of it, but it's interesting. From what I gathered, when Kenner got the license, the movie became a huge hit, and they really were scrambling to get some products out. They didn't quite have enough time to get uh, any to- any action figures or vehicles out uh, before the Christmas of 77, so they initially put out some games and jigsaw puzzles just to get something out. Uh, the board games included Adventure of R2-D2 game, Destroyed Death Star game, Escape from the Death Star, 
Star Wars Ultimate Space Adventure game. They had the, a few puzzles aboard the Falcon, Attack of the Sand People, Bantha, Ben vs. Darth Vader, Cantina Band, Corridor of Lights, Falcon in Space, Hildebrand Art, X-Wing Fighters, and a few more. Do any of you guys remember uh, any of these board games or puzzles? Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. Yeah, the puzzles, of course, those were the uh, kind of the first things that hit the shelves. And I uh, remember a number of these. I got a few of them. Boy, I can't tell you which ones that I, I did get. I did acquire uh, three or four of these puzzles again in the last oh few months or so. I haven't put them I haven't put them together yet, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to doing that. Maybe maybe when it gets a little rainy and and I get a little bored, I'll uh, start doing a few of these puzzles again. But uh, yeah, for the for the the puzzles, I was I was on it. And uh, the board games, I knew they were out there, but uh, I never really did meet anyone who actually had these these board games. So, um, you know, of course, when the figures came out, the uh, board games were pretty much uh, pretty much a, a done deal as far as you know wanting to get them. But uh, didn't get to that point. The jigsaw puzzles were definitely uh, a fun for me until uh, the uh, the better stuff came out. So. Yeah, Tom, I'm with you. I, you know, I don't remember seeing these games or puzzles as a kid, oddly enough. But uh, Ryan, do you have any? Uh, did you have any of these games or puzzles? Do you have any now? Um, I don't think I had any of the any of it necessarily. I was pretty young. Um, I was just a year old when Star Wars came out. But um, I do actually have uh, a couple of puzzles now uh, with that LP logo on them and everything. Um, um, I don't have any of the games. I never have gotten the Death Star game or anything like that, though. Uh, Chris, did any of this stuff make it to Germany where you were growing up that you that you can remember? I know this is kind of a little bit before you were born, but do you remember any of this stuff over there? Kind of. Kind I'm pretty of. sure that some of the stuff made it over there, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I didn't get into the whole Star Wars thing until, like, 83, 84, until Jedi came out over there. So, mm-hmm. But, you know, the one thing is, though, like, every time I see these puzzles, you know, um, online or, you know, at a convention or something, I just love love the artwork on those things. Um, so I, I've been tempted to pick them up a couple of times, but just haven't done it yet. So, But maybe in the future. You know, Jason, uh, when I, uh, w- looking at these puzzles and, and games and stuff, you know, this is kind of the first first sampling of that great double bar Star Wars logo that we see on the card backs. This is where we kind of start seeing it right from the beginning. As far as collectibles go, these are are really awesome to uh, to collect and pick up. I love them. Mark, any uh, any uh, any thoughts on the games and puzzles that were offered really early on in the on the line? Well, I, I believe I had I know I had Adventures of R two D two. Um, and I had escaped from Death Star, and I remember I was only uh, probably six years old at the time, and I loved the Adventures of R2-D2 because even if you look at a, a copy of the game today, um, it says right on the front, reading and counting not necessary for the game. So it was just kind of a color recognition game, a matching game, and it was, you know, like first player to get R2-D2 to the Rebel base. Um, so I remember playing that, and I remember, you know, here's... I have a kind of an odd question for for everyone based on this escape from the Death Star game. I remember there being some like character token, um, and it was Han and Chewie. Han slash Chewie was one of the the tokens, and Luke slash Leia was another one of the tokens. And I remember, you know, we all remember role playing. I want to be Han. I want to be Luke. And you know, if you had a sister or or a, a, a 
sister of a friend, she was Leia. I, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, at what time was it cooler to be Luke or was it cooler to be Han? And, and I think the more important question was, at, at this stage of, of the Star Wars canon, at this point, I think we all kind of believed that, you know, maybe in our heart of hearts, that Luke was going to get together with Leia one day. And, and, you know, I remember thinking that back in, like, 77, 78, 79, because that's all we had to go on were, were really the events of Star Wars. So, you know, I, I guess the question would be, during that Star Wars era, when we had this limited amount of knowledge to go by, when you were role-playing, when, when you guys were, you know, I guess, play-fighting, or, or who did you guys choose to be? Were you guys Han fans? Were you Luke fans? Did you have a Leia because this is before, remember, this is before action figures came out. So without action figures, you had board games in the films. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was a kid uh, doing the old playground uh, role playing Han Solo, Luke Skywalker thing, uh, the fact that I had the darker hair was uh, enabled, or uh, uh, I played the uh, Han Solo, <laughs> which was cool because uh, I liked Han anyway. I definitely liked Han Solo better well, than here's, here's uh, better than Luke. Here's kind of a follow up. You know, here's a follow-up to that, um, that that I find interesting. As as these movies progress, particularly from Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back, in my opinion, to me, Han Solo becomes infinitely cooler once uh, Empire Strikes Back hits. So was there like a sea change in your role playing with kids? You know, all, everyone wanted to be Luke, everyone wanted to be Luke, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to be Han. You know, was was there a change in your opinion of the of these characters as we move from Star Wars to ESB to Return of the Jedi? Not really for me. I was I was always a big Han Solo fan. I have to admit, ever since the beginning, I was I was Han all the way. So yeah, I, I maybe thought, that's just me. I thought Han was definitely cool, but um, as a kid, I could really identify with Luke Skywalker. I felt like maybe I could even be Luke Skywalker. I never felt like I could be, be Han Solo, but you know. Not that I didn't think Han was cool, but Ryan, where were you at? Where were you at on this? Um, well, I was definitely a Luke person. Um, for quite a while, I don't think I really got into to really enjoying Han until like as a teenager. But yeah, I was all for Luke, and uh, I always wanted a girl around to play Leia too. So I mean, that's that's me. So <laughs> Chris, I'm gonna guess. I I know you, Chris. You you were you're Luke. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought this to do with, with Jedi being my first Star Wars movie, because I feel like, you know, like in Jedi, Luke took on the entire Jabba's palace single-handedly, basically. And, uh, you know, at the end, even the Emperor and everything. So he was definitely the uh, the man for me. But, you know, if I had grown up seeing Star Wars first, um, you know, I can see the, the coolness factor of Han Solo, you know, especially the way he, he smoked Greedo. I mean, that was just so cool, you know. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why people, you know, that, that outcry when they changed that scene in the movie for the special editions. I think that's one of the reasons why people got so upset because they kind of took this coolness away from the character, you know. Mm. I have no so idea I, what I, I can see. About. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can see why Tom, you know, would favor Han Solo most most certainly. Han my, is a cool dude. What can I say? My mom was and still is a seamstress. So as a seamstress who worked quite a bit with wedding dresses, she had these long yardsticks that were metal tipped. So I had an endless supply of light slate sabers as a kid. And I recall this one time my friend Ricky Spano and my sister and I, who, my sister's one year younger than I, 
we were playing, you know, Star Wars in our base, in my basement, and my sister was just not being a good Leia. She wasn't committing to the role as far as my, you know, 10-year-old mind could wrap around roles. She wasn't being a, an effective method actor. So I remember one of the worst things I ever did as a kid was I took that, I took that yardstick and, like, whacked her in the face with it. Oh, it was just horrible. <laughs> I think she still has the scar. I think she still wow. has Wow. Jeez. That's hard yeah, to Mark. I took Star Wars pretty seriously back I apologize, Nicole, wherever you are. I'm sorry. Before we move on from the game, I just want to also mention there were a couple others. There were some electronic games. One was called, The first one was called Star Wars Electronic Laser Battle, and the other game during the uh, LP era was X-Wing Aces. I've never played X-Wing Aces or even actually seen an opened one in person. Uh, Tom, do you have any experience with this game? X-Wing Aces? I do not. I don't think I've actually... No, I did, I did see one last celebration. But that was the first and only time I have ever actually seen that toy. Seems like a cool idea and concept, but uh, my little my little uh, uh, kid self probably would have maybe played that uh, with that for maybe an hour or two, and 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 maybe never again. Didn't <laughs> seem like did seemed like a cool idea, but uh, uh, as far as far as a long playing toy, I don't think so. A friend of mine had it. I think it was just basically a target game. So, you know, it wasn't something, it, you know, it's it's like an old school Atari game. You know, there right, wasn't a right. lot of playability with it. So, you know, it, it yeah, and I think the print run on that game was really small, but, you know, there was no demand for it. I did have the uh, electronic laser battle game, though. You did? I did. And did you like it? <clears throat> no, it was boring and uh, complicated and uh, kind of lame. So, hey, any anything to tide us over for the basically what we're looking at here is is the the bullcrap that we had to go through to get to the to finally get to the figures, and once we were there, all this stuff all this stuff was never looked at again. I I guarantee it, and I remember it that way too. Puzzles, games, Escape from the Death Star. Uh, Adventures of R2-D2. I play, we played board games, but if you had the figures in hand, all that stuff was a moot point when the figures came out. All right, so let's move on to that then. The uh, first four figures... Uh, Perfect segue. Exactly. ...are from the early bird kit. We've, we did a, a pretty detailed discussion about mail-aways, so um, you know, I think most people... Now, I'm not going to say most people, but a lot of people already know the story about the early bird kit and how you had to mail away for the first four figures so you could buy you could buy at retail, I believe, just an empty box, and they would mail the first four figures to you sometime early 1978. I believe it was February when the first figures started to show up. Uh, R2-D2, Princess Leia Organa, Chewbacca, and Luke Skywalker. Mark, you have an early bird kit. Is that right? I have it in front of me. It, you know, it boggles my mind with as many toy companies who wanted this license. You know, the question I have, and, and not to impugn Kenner as a toy maker, but, you know, how could you not have the figures ready in time for Christmas? You know, <laughs> I, 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 I can't wrap my head around that um, because, you know, it, it, they're, not, they're not super detailed, and I understand tooling does take a little while, but... I, I don't remember. Do you all remember what the um, original retail on on just the early bird kit was? The the store kit? 
was it like 10.99 or something yeah. like that? Yeah, something like that, 10.99. Yep. So you're paying, you know, 10.99 essentially for for this this empty box. Um, but you know, I, I think I think what I what I want to say about it is when I first started getting the um, the first 12 Star Wars figures, there was something about the the painted artwork on the back of the 12 backs. Um, and the weapon descriptions that really made those characters, um, you know, jump out to me. You know, the, yep. the painted characters on the early bird kit, the painted representations on the back of the package. There was something that made that feel very special. And, and that lends itself to Transformers and G.I. Joe. There's a difference, not to bring up different toy lines, but there's a difference to getting a single carded or buying a single carded G.I. Joe figure with that painted explosion back artwork and getting, you know, line art. There's something very profound about about a toy company going to those lengths. Yeah, I totally agree. Very memorable. Those card backs were uh, the first, the 12 uh, card back designs were just beautiful. And they were effective because when you turned that figure around and you saw what was coming or what you could have gotten, it was magic and you wanted more. With the uh, with the early bird kit, the uh, there's a couple of differences I believe on the on the loose figures. Chewbacca maybe has a different colored crossbow, and Luke Skywalker has the double telescoping lightsaber. Lightsaber. Yeah, I have my loose figures in front of me, so let me pop them open. Yeah, it's a translucent green crossbow on on the Chewbacca, and sometimes they 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 say his his pouch is almost a translucent color. I, I think that might be some sort of degradation or sun fading but it, there's a distinct difference between the the standard 12 back uh retail mint on card chewbaccas in 78 and the uh, and the ones that were solicited in the early bird kit and then uh <laughs> finally the uh, the first wave of figures hit and i don't really know i don't think people were actually calling them waves back then but uh, the original 12 the uh, only 12 figures packaged with the with the uh the only single-carded action figures packaged under the LP uh, label, um, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia Organa, R2-D2, C-3PO, Chewbacca, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Stormtrooper, Death Squad Commander, Sand People, Jawa, and Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, Chris, I'm going to ask you this. Um, I know for your website you've recently started adding vintage figures to it, and what is your uh, what's your thought on these these first twelve figures with the sculpting and the and the design? It's funny because you know you take pictures of the figures and all of a sudden you notice little details that you don't really see when you just look at them with your naked eye. So it was really interesting because some of the sculpting on these figures is just you know it's it's not as detailed as modern figures obviously, but there's just something that's really charming about those figures. Yeah, it's just something really special about those figures. And it's not something I can just nail and see, like, that's exactly what they did here or mm -hmm. there. But, um, you know, maybe it has something to do with, you know, us looking at these figures so much when we we're kids that, you know, that's the reason why why we think that they're, like, special or something. But, um, yeah, it's, to answer your question, there's not something I can point my finger on and say that's why, you know. Ryan, what's your take on the first 12? Well, I mean, honestly, I got into this stuff a, a little later in the game. Um the first figures, uh, technically, they went to my brother uh, when they came out. My my mom got the uh, early bird kit uh, for my brother. 
And uh, I they got handed down to me about when I was five years old, and my brother died when I was two. So I uh, th- those were all hand downs from, from my brother. I was a little too young to kind of play with Star Wars toys when they first came out. I mean, I can look back. I, I think they're great. They're, they're cool figures for what they did, and especially for how quickly they had to turn around to get those out uh, when you really look at it because they hadn't planned on putting out really action figures. They were like, oh, okay, we got this license. We'll put out some easy stuff. And it'll be fine, but Star Wars blew up so big. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, crap, we got to get some action figures out. And so, thus, the early bird kit came around and to get those action figures out as quick as possible. But, um, I mean, it's a cool concept, and it's amazing that it worked. It's such a gamble for them to do that. Uh, Mark, from, from, the first, uh, from the first 12 figures, um, do you have any favorites or any figures that, that uh, really stand out for you personally? You know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a little nerdy just for a second, um, and I'll say this. I was watching an, an episode. I don't know if any of you know the, the British sitcom Blackadder. Uh, yes. It's an, it's an historical comedy. And I think it's in Blackadder 2 when uh, Rowan Atkinson uh, is talking to um, to uh, Baldrick, played by Tony Robinson, and he says, you know, what do you think of the way portraits are made in, you know, Elizabethan England or whatever it is, Jamesian England? He says, I think they're portrayed to a romantic ideal. And I think I'm looking at a Luke Skywalker figure right now, you know, the, the standard, you know, uh, original farm boy Luke. Let's face it, folks. This looks absolutely nothing. This couldn't look less like Mark Hamill if they tried. Um, but what it does, what these figures do is they portray some sort of platonic, romantic ideal of what the figure represents. Um, you know, the Jawa figure is, in essence, the Jawa. The Tuscan Raider even though you know you don't have the quality of robes looking at Ben Kenobi these days with the vintage figure collection uh, or the Tuscan Raider, they don't really look the original figures don't don't look authentically accurately like the characters they're supposed to represent, but they portray some sort of to use Chris's word, some sort of charming romanticized representation of those characters and I think it works. Um, you know, my figure, my first figure was C-3PO because there was such a run on Star Wars figures that that was all that was on the pegs at the time. So I was, you know, quote, stuck with the C-3PO. But it was still cool, man, with that gold-plated finish. You know, getting into that, that kind of portraying him as an accurate uh, por- portrait of the figure, uh, you got to look at that Jawa and see how much they nailed that figure. When, once they changed to the cloth cape, obviously... When they changed, right. them, they nailed that figure with the cloth cape. And that cloth cape made you want to buy like a hundred of them if you could, because there was that was my first Star Wars Halloween costume. My mom was a seamstress. I was a Jawa, and it was a great costume, and I loved that figure. Mark, do you have any photos of your of, of that costume from when you were a kid? I, you know what, I probably do. I was actually <laughs> going through some old photos last Christmas, and I probably have. You know, maybe 15 or 20 photos of me with various toys and in various, you know, costumes and stuff. So. <laughs> well, if you feel inclined, Mark, you, you do know where to send those, don't you? You I can always send them to igrewupstarwars.com. There's some sort of website it. called <laughs> igrewupstarwars.com. Yes, and, and if, when I do find them, I'll send them to you. The figures had vinyl capes, except for the Jawa, which, which they did 
uh, switch out rather quickly, I believe, for for a cloth cape. But um, did now did you did you wish that some of the other figures like Darth Vader and Princess Leia and Obi Wan Kenobi? Do you think do you kind of wish they would have went back and put cloth capes on those figures as well? Or, or, or God what? yes, God yes, God yes, God yes, <laughs> yeah. Maybe so, but the thing is, when you when you were a kid and you finally saw these at your Kmart or Payless or whichever store you you walked into and you finally saw them for the first time, these could have been bricks that had Star Wars on the uh, painted on the uh, uh, the side of them. You still would have gotten them. When I saw these figures, Mark mentioned that you know Luke definitely does not look like Mark Hamill, but. Th- when I was a kid, that did not matter because imagination just took over. Once we got, you know, got a hold of these, we got into the car and ripped them off the bubbles, and and we uh, uh, away we were uh, playing with the the toys. It, it didn't matter what they looked like, and they didn't need to be authentically, uh, you know. I mean, they still looked. You recognized Han Solo as Han Solo, and R two as as R two. So uh, I'm just going to say, close enough was was still pretty good. Do you think that may have given us an advantage imaginatively because they weren't as accurate? Did we have to use our imaginations a little bit more? You know, the weird thing is, Mark, when I was when I was playing with these figures, I wasn't looking at my Ben going, this does not look like Alec Innes. This doesn't Never. look like Obi-Wan Kenobi from the movie. Not I'm once. Just, what am I doing here? Yeah, it, it was, I think, close enough. I, did, I don't think we even really considered it when we were playing with our toys. I think uh, I think we were just thrilled as as all heck to have them. The, for me, you know, I was content. I was definitely content with the designs of the toys. I It didn't really even occur to me, I guess because I was five when they came out, so it didn't really even occur to me that it could be better. The only thing that I think kind of uh, was jarring for me as a kid was seeing the Chewbacca figure the first time. Something about it kind of startled me. It just didn't, not that it doesn't look like Chewbacca, but um, something about the the face or something just kind of startled me a bit as a kid. I mean, I liked it, but uh, something did, about did that it, sculpt. Did it scare you? <laughs> you know... Because he's, he's sculpted with, the, with his mouth open, right? Kind of like a roaring kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe a little. I don't know. I mean, I still wanted that figure, but... Um, did you have a pillow like in Poltergeist, too, and it no. scared you? I did not. I did not. But that's a good point that, that Mark made. I mean, I think maybe, um, you know, the sculpting te- techniques back then weren't quite as advanced as, as nowadays, obviously. And, and that might have been an advantage for, for for them in the end because, you know, you did have to use your imagination more. And, of course, you know, uh, the straight-to-home video market was so far away, like years away. So you the only way to see Star Wars was really in the theater, you know. And you probably only saw it once, twice, or maybe, you know, three, four times if you're lucky. Um, but the rest, you know, had to come from your imagination. So uh, I, th- I think that, you know, in the end, Kenner might have gotten really lucky with the fact that the sculpting techniques weren't quite as advanced back then. And kids had to use their imagination more. Uh, Ryan, how many of the capes ripped off your vintage figures? You know, I was actually just going through my Star Wars figures here. Um, and, uh, yeah, those capes ripped really easily. In fact, I, I was just looking at my original Darth Vader cape. And it's it's still there, but um, it's it's ripped up. It actually has um, scotch tape on the inside to keep it together, so I can mm-hmm. put it back on Vader. Um, and it still has that same scotch tape from you know 30 years ago or whatever on there. But yeah, it, I and I know there's a few capes I lost that I've since uh, 
uh, purchased uh, new ones to get on there. I think my Leia has a new cape on her. But I think my Obi-Wan and my Vader still have their original capes. But uh, uh, the Tusken Raider has the original cape as well. But yeah, I, I those were really kind of cheap. But I was, I think a lot of my figures ended up without their capes at times, um, just because I got so annoyed with them ripping from playing with them. Yeah, I I would use like scotch tape to repair my the capes on my figures. But uh, from that first set of figures, I think most of the capes I had ripped, and I'm not, I don't even think I ripped them. I think it, the problem was I let you know my friends play with them, and and I think. I'm going to blame a lot of it on my friends ripping their capes. <laughs> but I didn't That's mind the... I didn't mind having Princess Leia without her cape or having Obi-Wan without his cape because they still look really cool without their capes. The problem I had was when Darth Vader lost his cape, he does not look right without some <laughs> kind of cape. And so I was trying to convince my parents to get me another Darth Vader figure, but they they wouldn't cuz I already had one. They didn't understand that because he didn't have a cape. I couldn't really use him the way he was supposed to be used. The vintage Vader is a little lanky and uh, kind of scrawny. Yeah. That uh, that cape definitely uh, kind of fills him out a little bit. And that's that's the bummer about uh, the first 12 figures. I mean, the vinyl capes, those were going to go. The lightsabers, you, the, the second you got those, you were, you were feeling like yeah. chomping the end of the tips off. And then uh, poor R2, that sticker uh, sticker detail on his body there, that was, you throw him in uh, in, in the mud or in water, and that thing's gone. That's toast. Yeah, my R2 uh, went into the bathtub with me, and of course, once R2 gets in the bathtub, you know, he's, his sticker's done. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, uh, done deal. Yeah, kind of going along those lines, so what, what would you guys have thought, is say when they got around to the Jedi line, I know this is going a little off the LP stuff, but if they got to the Jedi line and then redid uh, characters like uh, Vader and Obi-Wan to have cloth uh, cloth capes and cloth robes, uh, I'd maybe update the sculpts on yeah, those. Would you guys have gone for those? Definitely, because um, I remember getting, getting Squidhead, taking off his cape, dyeing it with black ink, and putting it on my Darth Vader, so my Darth Vader finally had a cape around 1983. <laughs> wow. I, did, I actually did something similar, although it was years later I'd bought a... Uh, a Batman Returns Batman, so that's how many years later. And I took the cape, it was just had like a little thing that goes on the neck. I took the cloth cape off of him, put it on Vader. I'm like, oh, that looks so much better. <laughs> so let's move on to the uh, to the actual lightsabers. Uh, I wanted to just talk, talk about the, the lightsabers and, and the mechanisms, how they kind of changed it. Uh, Mark, um, maybe you could explain the uh, telescoping versus the double telescoping sabers. Okay, uh, let me grab my double telescoping Luke. Um, I have all my loose figures here. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll describe it like this. I think I think when the, the three lightsaber-based uh, figures were released, um, Luke, Skywalker, Ben Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Darth Vader, initially they were released with um, essentially two-part lightsabers. Um, and the lightsaber had an outer sheath, and if you have a, a standard Vader, Luke, or Ben, um, that little tip on the end of a standard release, Vader, Luke, or Ben, that tip, picture that as another sheath running through the entire length of a hollow tube. That's a double telescoping lightsaber. It actually had two pieces to it. And I think either it was fragility or... Um, 
or people losing the parts, or I don't know what the what the reason is. I don't think it was actually cost. It was cost. Was it cost? Yeah. Um, but thank you. But I'll tell you, it it is very cool, and it extends the lightsaber quite a bit, quite a bit longer. Um, but it's you know I, I know my uh, my Luke in my early bird kit is a double telescoping Luke, um, and I got very lucky getting that, but. You know they're astronomically more expensive on the secondary market, um, particularly it's Ben, correct? I, I I think they're really cool, but they're just so expensive, so prohibitively expensive these days. Yeah, but yeah, for a tiny piece of plastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the lightsaber tips on my figures started to actually come off, I think again from you know probably letting my friends play with the figures too roughly. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> But they started to come off, so to make myself feel better, I just convinced myself that they're not actually supposed to be on there. It's just kind of like an excess piece of plastic. So I just kind of clipped the rest of them off and tried to forget about the whole thing. But, you know, what a great concept, though. Don't you think? Like, the whole telescoping idea. Like, for me, when I was a child, I remember that, you know, the, the advantage of having it that way is that when I played with these figures... You know, I would always make that that lightsaber on sound, you know, and then turn it off, and then it moves back in. And oh, that's yeah, kind of like what they exactly. lost a little later in the line, you know, when the when they came out with the the Bespin Luke, he just had the you know a regular yellow saber. Um, you know, you you put the saber in the hands, and he would just you know it'd be just on. But you know, with with these figures. You know, you had this on-off kind of feature, which I really liked as a kid. I remember and that. And on the uh, and on the twelve-back packaging on the back, thank gosh, we had that uh, little uh, little instruction uh, uh, tutorial there on how to how to activate the uh, lightsaber. That uh, that <laughs> saved me a lot of frustration in, when I was a kid. <laughs> well, how many of us then lost those lightsabers and replaced them with toothpicks or something? Oh God! Yeah, that was about uh, two hours later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the best were the uh, the maraschino cherry swords. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Find those. You got it. Swords. When you go right. to a restaurant and they happen to have those colored uh, plastic toothpicks, and, and you see like red and blue and yellow, oh, you had to grab them because you because you needed uh, those for your figure. Well, but Chris, Chris, getting back to what you were saying about the the later lightsabers for Luke Vespin and Luke Jedi Knight, those figures didn't really hold their sabers well either. That's right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the advantages for for this method, even the non uh, double telescoping, the standard lightsaber for the twelve back figures was you didn't lose the lightsaber. They could actually hold them and furthermore fight with them. How many how many lightsaber battles did you have between Ben and Darth and Darth and Luke, just with those lightsabers pushed up that you couldn't have with Luke Bespin or Luke Jedi Knight because they always dropped their sabers. Totally, yeah, totally agree with and you. That- yeah. That always looked weird too. Bespin, Luke, and Darth—they kind of didn't. Kind of, it just looked weird with the Darth uh, Darth saber coming out of his arm there, so to speak, and uh, Luke holding his. It always always didn't look right. Didn't quite match, did it, Tom? The uh, yellow. Sab- that's right. That's right. The yellow saber from the uh, Empire Strikes Back, Luke. I lost it. Um, the uh, probably less than twenty-four hours after. I got that figure. It was just gone. Did you open your figure in the car? I, th- I I think I opened the figure in the store <laughs> while my mom was paying for it. I mean, we we all right. had that, right? Our parents told us not to open them in the car because we'd lose the weapons or whatever. And it, we, we would. <laughs> Ryan, you say that tongue-in-cheek, but I remember if my sister and I were really, really good, 
like throughout the week, my mom and dad would, you know, go to the local mall, which was for us 25, 30 miles away. And my sister could get a Barbie outfit and I could get a, a Star Wars figure. And I remember my mom and dad in the front seat of the car, my sister Ian on the back seat, and we'd open them on the way home. And, and just that, that, that lulling sense of, of tranquility when you're opening up like a Yoda figure. Oh, God. Man, we were lucky to grow up when we did. Boy, yeah, we were I agree, Mark. I agree. I know Absolutely. exactly what you're talking about. And that feeling of security. And there, there was something special about getting a new Star Wars figure. And, and even more than that, you know, going into a, a department store like Caldor or Kmart, going in there when there's a new assortment that you've never seen before. Yeah. Oh, God. Good stuff. Good it, stuff. It, internet, and I, I definitely wouldn't want to get rid of it. But, um, when when we go looking for for action figures now, we know exactly what we're looking for, exactly what they look like. We are, you know, there. We know, so it's it is a different experience. Hey, Mark, we've uh, we've talked about. Uh, I think we've 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 mentioned this a few times on the podcast. But uh, are you familiar with something known as a new figure smell? Oh God, yes. <laughs> I I was I first became intimately familiar with new figure smell. In 1975, when I received my first Mego Spider-Man figure, uh, I believe it was carded at that time. Maybe it was 76, and I opened it up, and it was the head was still a little oily. So the second you open that blister and smell that, you know, caustic plastic smell, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, one of the fondest smells. I've yes, I know exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually in. I'm in talks with the the, the pine pine tree folks uh, to get a flavor, <laughs> get a flavor for that, so I can uh, hang them in my car. You, oh, you could you make, um, sorry, but Tom, you could make little I grew up Star Wars dot com uh, car fresheners. If I can bottle that uh, scent, that I th- I think I would uh, be able to quit my job. There, to get yeah. back to what Jason just mentioned about you know like knowing exactly now what you're finding in the stores. I kind of I disagree with that a little bit because I still kind of get that high when I go on a toy run and I find new toys. Of yeah. course, it's not like you know what it used to be like back in the days when you were a kid and you had no idea what might be on the shelf and you had to like go through all the figures and then you know the last figure on the shelf was was the figure that you really wanted or like a new character or something. It's not like that anymore. But I I feel like I still get that high when I find new figures. Um, yeah, and Chris, yeah, I do too. It's just, it's a different, it's just, what I'm trying to say is like, it's just totally different because, you know, you just, you know what you're looking for now. And it's still really fun, but you've, ne- you've never been surprised. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you've ever been surprised at a figure on the toy shelf in the last, you know, 10, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, Chris, I'm with you too. I still collect modern figures. So, uh, Mark, do you, do you still collect? Do you, you collect modern figures at all? Uh, yes. You do. I collect uh, probably. Oh, I collect a lot of stuff. I I, I have about sixty five thousand action figures, so I collect almost everything that's out there. <laughs> the uh, the next uh, variation with the uh, the original action figures I just wanted to mention was the small head Han or small head Han. Versus large head Han. 
Um, I believe the small, I'm pretty sure the small head one was released first. Uh, I don't know exactly when they switched it over to the large head, but, uh, well, I think the large one looks better personally. I'm, I'm pro- I might be alone on this one, but that's my thought. Tom, you are alone on this one. Actually, I was, uh, it's funny that I have a story that goes right along with this whole large head, small head Han ordeal. I, uh, when I was a kid, I got, uh, the, well, Han was probably one of my first five figures that I got a hold of, and I, he was a, a big head Han. I had no idea that there was a smaller head version. Friend of mine from Lewiston, Idaho, his name was Josh Woods. He uh, had a, a small head Han, and uh, he let me actually borrow his uh, small head Han to uh, play with for a couple of days, and. I would just sit there and compare and was just completely mesmerized with the fact that there were two variations of the same figure. So, you know, shoulders down, he was the same figure. But uh, the difference that it made to see two different Han Solos just blew my mind when I was seven years old. And, of course, you know, the fact that uh, the fact that Han Solo was actually the only one that was kind of bent-armed, you know, everybody had to kind of strong-arm strong, strong arm their uh, blasters to, to shoot at, uh, you know, to shoot at you. Um, it was just amazing. The, the, the whole uh, big head, small head thing was just awesome with, uh, with, a, with a figure that was, was probably my favorite in the in the 12 back line okay so let's just go around then we got to get a get it i just want to see where everybody stands on this ryan which uh which which version do you think is superior well you know i grew up with a big head Han. that's all i ever had um so it wasn't until i became an adult collector i really knew about the small head Han. and you know what i learned about it, i was like oh because i always thought the big head Han just looked kind of funky and i, I it was kind of weird and when i saw first saw like print images of small head Han. I was like, oh, that, that's kind of cool. It looks a little different and stuff. But now that I've got both and I can look at both, I've got to say probably the big head Han definitely looks better. I think it's a, a better head on it. So I, wow. I think big head on it. Wow. Chris? So yeah, my favorite one is, is the small head Han Solo simply for the fact that I had it when I was a child. But I when I saw the big head Han, I always kind of felt it was um, just too big. You know, maybe it was because I was just used to the small head Han at the time, but... <laughs> Uh, small head Han was too small and big head Han was too big. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, the funny thing is the, uh, they did make the, the head sculpt change already on the 12-packs, right? I I think so, but I am not 100% sure. But the, the thing is, though, that they must have kept shipping the, the small head Han uh, at least – into the, the Return of the Jedi waves, because that's when I started getting figures. That You know, I think there's a Steve Sansweet book, one of his earlier books um, on, on collecting Star Wars action figures, and I think he does mention that the small-headed Han was shipped, even though more large, large-headed large Hans were, were produced, that they used the small-headed Han in some quantities all the way up to Return of the Jedi, so I think that's very possible. Hmm. I think you're correct. Okay, Mark, where are you on this? Well, I, uh, I got... The the odd thing with with a lot of my early Star Wars figures is I believe that Christmas uh, of '78 I was visiting my relatives in Belgium and I got a lot of my first Star Wars figures on European on probably on Tri Logo cards I don't even remember it was so long ago but I remember getting the small head Han Solo and I played with him so much that maybe two years later we're talking 1980 1981 the head popped off, and it wasn't one of those pop-off Star Wars heads. When it mm-hmm. fell off, it was just off. 
Yep. So I had to replace him with a large head Han, and I just he looked like he had a frog face. <laughs> and I just I didn't like it. I, there was something about the way the part of his hair. Um, it, it, I, I just liked the small head more, and I couldn't find a small head ever again until you know I picked up the you know collecting Star Wars in the '90s in the early '90s. So I'm a small head guy. <laughs> okay. There you go. And then I just want to ask one quick question to everyone. From the original 12 figures, what do you think was the best single accessory? Either the lightsaber, the Princess Leia blaster, the uh, Han Solo blaster, the um, Stormtrooper blaster, which is also with the Death Squad commander, the Sand People uh, uh, gaffy stick, or the Jawa blaster. What was the coolest accessory from the the first wave? Um, I'll start with Tom. I am going to go with the gaffy stick. Okay. Yep, I've given it some thought actually, and uh, yeah, for sure, gaffy stick. Ryan, what was your? What do you think the coolest accessory was from the first wave? Look at that, Tom. We agree. Uh, I, I go with the gaffy stick as well. It's from those first twelve. It's, well, other yeah, than the yeah, Jawa yeah. blaster, it is the most unique. Uh, almost everything else was used by another figure at some point, and yeah, the gaffy stick was. It was kind of slightly modified for the Rancor Keeper down down the road, but I, the gaffy stick worked. It was very. It also worked with the sand person. Like you could raise his arms over his head, and he could still hold that above his head, which was really cool. See, Ryan, we can't agree on some things. <laughs> Chris, what do you think is the best accessory from this this first this first wave of Kenner figures? I would go with Chewbacca's bowcaster. Always felt that. It fit really, really well onto Chewie's arm, and it was actually a perfect fit, I always thought. And uh, it didn't fall out of the hands, and uh, so, yeah, I would go with that. And Mark? I, you know, thinking about the bent Han Solo arm, I, I loved that that DL-44 heavy blaster pistol, that, that blue-black rebel blaster that Han Solo came with. I, I love that gun. I think it's it's iconic, and, uh, and I know it was reproduced, Endless times, but I just love that that DL44 heavy blaster that Han came with. Uh, and Mark, I'm gonna I'll agree with you. I think that was the that was my personal favorite. In fact, um, I think I lost uh, Han's original blaster, but whenever I would get another figure that had the same blaster, I'd take it from them and give it to Han because it's Han's gun. Here. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So when uh, I don't remember the next figure that came along, maybe it was uh, Rebel Greedo. Re- Greedo. Yeah. Greedo. Well, I had to have, Greedo had to have a gun, but I didn't really care which gun he had. He could have a Stormtrooper gun. That was fine with me. Give him an E-11 Stormtrooper blaster. He's yeah. fine with it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was rationing out the, the Han Solo pistols, and, and, and he definitely always got the gun. Okay, and then let's just move to the vehicles. Uh, there were three, as far as I know, there were just three initial vehicles. Well, actually, that's not entirely correct. But the first, the original three were the TIE Fighter, the X-Wing, and the Land Speeder. And then also during the LP era, J.C. Penny had the, uh, the Sonic, uh, what is it, the Sonic Controlled Land Speeder? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. and uh, I, I, have, I have all four of them right in front of me right now. So. Okay. So, um, well, I don't, you know, let's just go around. Um, Tom, uh your initial thoughts on the on the first three vehicles, and do you have a favorite? All awesome. I mean, you know, if actually, it's funny. Uh, I just posted. This probably won't be timely for very long, but I just posted a video about uh, uh, our friend Sam uh, and uh, his home movie, 
and uh, what his brother Adrian scored uh, for Christmas in 1978. Man, that kid just won the lottery that year he pretty much had most of the figures he had all of the uh the vehicles that had come out uh in 78 the tie fighter x-wing lance beater um it's just awesome to see so if you have not been to igrewupstarwars.com go and check out the front page sam's video is there check it out uh shenanigans galore you're gonna love it (laughs) but but um my favorite was probably the land speeder the only reason i say that is because i did not did not get the tie fighter nor the x-wing um during uh, the vintage years my vintage years i only got the land speeder out of those three so i'm gonna go with land speeder being my favorite out of all those the only one i actually had as a kid was the x-wing fighter but my cousin had the land speeder and I thought that thing was awesome. I loved that the the hood popped up, and you could, you know, it was just a sticker inside. But the, that was there, and you had the little stick shift that you could use to raise and lower the wheels. I, I thought it was such a cool vehicle. I was very envious of my cousin who had that. Um, good good stuff, so, Ryan. Yeah, I would say, I, even though I didn't have it as a kid, the Landspeeder would be my favorite out of those. You know, you got Tom. We agreed again. Look at that. <laughs> the, you, the, it's a crazy day today, Ryan. It's a crazy day. Maybe we just have to go to Vintage, Tom, and, and we'll agree all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I remember some uh, one kid, his name was Scotty, bringing the land speeder. In 1978, he brought it to daycare center, had it out on the playground, and, and it was a magnet. Every single kid just flocked to him to look at that land speeder. It was the first Star Wars vehicle, as far as a toy, that I had ever seen. It was so cool. So I can see why you guys are going with the land speeder, just from my... My own nostalgia for the vehicle, uh, Chris. From this initial vehicle run, what do you think's the? What is your favorite? You know, favorite. Um, well, out of the three that you mentioned, I would go with the X-wing. Um, that was definitely my favorite. But I was gonna ask you guys about the uh, Imperial Troop Transport. Was that? Did that come with the LP sticker on it too? It did was, not. From, from what? No, that came out. They ca- that came out later, Chris. Okay. 79, I believe. Yeah, I see. Because yeah, that, I would have picked that over the uh, the X-wing probably. But yeah, I go with the X-wing fighter. You know, I didn't I didn't have a lot of money, and my parents didn't have a lot of money back then. So I was really an action figure guy. And when it was Christmas time, I was, you know, asking for play sets because there was so much more you could do with them than with the vehicles. So I didn't get my Star Wars vehicles until probably, God, till the 90s. Um, but I, I, I'm going to go with the team so far. There's something so beautifully iconic about that land speeder. Just the way it floats. I, you know, I was, I, in preparation for this, um, podcast, I was taking all my vehicles out and playing, not playing with them, setting them up. Um, because I don't play with toys. Uh, you were playing, you were playing with them, Mark. Come on. I was playing with the land speeder. Um, and man, that that floating ability it it still works it's still amazing um, the te- I love that vehicle I think it's gorgeous and actually I I had um, the Target exclusive land speeder that they just recently made for the vintage figure collection mm-hmm. and I I like the Kenner more than the modern Hasbro one um, because on the the new Target one the uh, the hood doesn't pop open exactly. It drives me. I'm like, what? What are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> I love the old land speeder. It's just gorgeous. I love it. 
Love it. One of the greatest vehicles ever made in the history of toys. Definitely hard to beat. I, you know, I gotta cool. go with you there. It's a that the newer land speeder mold that they've done. I mean, it's really cool. It looks practically just like the movie and everything. But come on, they couldn't have the hood pop open on it. I mean, that that was one of the coolest things about that vehicle. It boggled my mind. Absolutely boggled my mind. The the thing I loved about the land speeder as a kid was not only the floating mechanism, but the fact that. M- as far as I was concerned, it would fly. So you could put the figures in them, and they could fly in it to the Death Star. Now I know, as far as the movie goes, that never happened, and, and probably you know couldn't happen in that universe. But in my universe, Landspeeder could fly anywhere. But Jason, that goes back to what we were talking about about imagination. Was these toys were scaled, um, and they were so cleverly designed by uh, by Lucas and his team. The, the lines on that vehicle made it, it, it was, it was a, essentially a taxi cab or, you know, a, a broken down Pinto. I mean, it was the lowest class of vehicle in the Star Wars universe. But when we got this as a kid, it, it's, it's a spaceship, you know, it's a spacecraft. Yes. It's beautiful. It's, man, they, they could make toys back then, couldn't they? Yeah. Now, um, since we all seem to go with the land speeder, I, I think we should just at least uh, mention the other two vehicles, or actually the other three if you count the J.C. Penney land speeder. So just uh, the Tie Fighter, well, was probably was the first vehicle I got, and I really did like the how you push the the sides and the and the and the, and the panels would fall off, and I really loved the sound that thing makes when you push the button down. Mm. Um, the TIE Fighter I have now, it no longer makes that sound, and I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it's not that tough to repair, and I actually want to look into doing that, because I love It's actually that. a piece of cake. Is it? Okay, you're going to have to help me with that, Ryan, then, because I love the sound that the TIE Fighter makes. Anyone else have any, like, thoughts on the, on the sound the TIE Fighter or even the X-Wing make? You, you know, all of it, it is inside there is just like a piece of mylar on a gear, mm-hmm. and when you press... The button down, it whirs that gear around, and the mylar hits the, the gear, and it, it just it hits it at such a frequency to make the sound. I, I want to know if I can get, like, a cell phone, like a, like a, 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 a ringtone ring that will make those sounds. Because, <laughs> I've got I a hit, ringtone maker. I could probably do it. Okay, I think, I think we should look into that, Ryan. <laughs> any other, anybody want to have, anybody have any other thoughts on the, uh, in, oh, we, we really should probably mention the, the, the J, the JC Penny remote, the Sonic Landspeeder. Does anyone have one? I I have one in front of me right now, and I just realized today when I was going through the box that it is not complete. Apparently, oh. this the Sonic Control Landspeeder didn't just come with the Landspeeder and uh, and the remote. It came with apparently two um, screws or two uh, what would you call them? Um, in order to adjust. The um, the battery compartment on the bottom of the Sonic Control Landspeeder, there were like these two plastic, um, I guess, screwdriver, flat screw that you were supposed to use instead of a screwdriver that it came with. And apparently these things are very rare. It's about it's about another quarter the size of the original Landspeeder, so it's it's quite a bit bigger than the original Landspeeder. Um, and it, it, it almost looks a little out of scale, but I was using it today, and it, it's pretty cool, the remote control activity that it, that you can get from it. Um, it's an interesting vehicle, but it looks just a bit out of scale, and it's heavy, too. All right, so let's move on um, to the play sets, or maybe just a play set, because the only play set that I could find 
that had the LP label on it was the Death Star Space Station. Now, I was kind of surprised to think that this might be the only initial playset offered at the beginning because it seemed like something they would have waited on since it was so you know, costly, but can anyone... There was one more. Go ahead. There was one more. Um, The Sears-exclusive Cantina Adventure set had the LP on it. Oh. Um, Yep, you can go to, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, SWCA, um, maybe it's 12Vac. One of the major websites has it with the LP logo on it. Mine doesn't because it was solicited in 78 and 79. So the Cantina Adventure set was solicited with the LP logo on it, the, uh, the Sears um, set. Okay, so there were I'm looking two. at it right now. I've got the SWCA up right now. Yes, it is. It. it does yeah. have the LP on, uh, on that. Yeah. Uh, everybody, that's the Star Wars Collector's Archive. <laughs> now, Go there now. Join in the conversation. Great resource site. Mark, does it seem strange to you that they would release such a large playset right off the bat? You're talking about the Death Star? The, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Speaking of the Death Star space station, does it does it seem does that seem like an odd like kind of a little crazy to release such a large playset right off the bat, or do you think that well, was a I'll, wise I'll, choice? I'll ask this of of the group, and that's a that's a very important question. It might be the most important question that's that's asked in this conversation, which is, okay, so Kenner, you're telling me that you couldn't get four Star Wars figures to retail in, you know, seven months. But in a year, you could put together the entire Death Star space station, which has 60 parts to it. I find that very strange because, like you said, Jason, it's a huge playset with a lot of intricate parts and not just plastic. You're talking about chipboard. You're talking about the foam for the trash compactor. It's very odd that they would release this so early. Um, it's it's one of my favorite playsets, and I have both Death Stars. I have the Palatoy in this, and and using them together. I mean, the the original Death Star space station is. I like to look at it as kind of a cross section, um, maybe a slice of the pizza pie that is the Death Star. Um, but you know, I'll open that up. Do you, do you guys find it? at all odd that they released this big playset as quickly as they did? Yeah, I sure, I definitely do. I, but then again, I think uh, it's the first playset, and I think it's, I think it definitely could be argued that it's the best playset that they've made huh. ever. Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, if you look at it, the thing about the Death Star playset, unlike the action figures and maybe why they could get it out so quick, is it's all molded plastic. Um, there's okay. no real paint apps to be done on the Death Star playset. Even the Dianoga doesn't really have any paint apps on it. It's just solid green. Um, so everything just had to be made. It didn't have to really be painted. The only exception you could have with that would be the cardboard inserts. But I mean, they were cardboard. In- they were making boxes for this stuff, so it's not that that hard, I would think. But Good I think point. that may have sped up the the progress. Is that there's no paint apps? It's all molded plastic. Good point, Ryan. Hey, Tom, do you have the Death Star Space Station? Uh, No, I didn't have one when I was a kid. I think probably my parents shied away from that. It was Mm. just too big, too expensive. Big, that's not, that's irrelevant. But it was was a pretty good, hefty little uh, chunk of change there when I was a kid. So, you know, I guess now that I think about it, it makes perfect sense. I got the smaller vehicle, the Landspeeder. Loved it. I had my choice of all the figures that I wanted. Because they were cheap. 
the Death Star was something that I didn't get. Now that I think about it, probably due to the fact that it was a uh, uh, more expensive. I had friends that uh, definitely uh, were available, uh, and they had uh, they had Death Stars and sand crawlers and stuff. So I I was good to go. I didn't have to uh, I didn't have to worry about mine getting broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have one as a kid either, but um, the, it, it's definitely I, I I have one now, and I, I definitely think it it's probably the the best place that. That, that they've made. I'm not sure there's another one that I like more. Maybe the Creature Cantina. I, I possibly might like that one more. But uh, I would love to I would love to get a one now, but the thing is with me, I'm so particular. Anything that I get has to be mint and it's it we're going through time here. These toys are already 35 years old. I'm, it's it's going to be I'll a, say this in response to that that point you made about mint with yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying to, last year I finished my vintage Star Wars collection, and that's, nice. you know, every figure, vehicle, weapon, accessory, variation that I could find, blah, 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 even the vinyl figure cases, and one of the things that, that kept bothering me, particularly about this playset, was I, I have no idea, and no one had any idea, and you can't find it on the interwebs, how many different pieces of foam came with the playset in the compactor. And really the only way you can find out is if you buy a sealed set or you buy a mint in box set with a sealed baggie of the foam and it's not degrading. And right, it just right. happens about, about three years ago, one of the local collectible stores got three box Death Star space stations in various conditions and one of them had a sealed baggie of those foam parts that wasn't degraded. So I actually wow. can finally determine, you know, the color, the 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 width, the amount. The only odd thing, the oddest thing about this playset is you, you all know it comes with uh, a label sheet. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Do you realize in the instructions and nowhere in the box does it tell you where those go? <laughs> wow, I had no idea. And on top of that, yeah, there are like three or four labels that not even by looking on the box or looking in catalog samples do you know where those labels go. So to this day, I have a label sheet with like four labels on it that I have no idea where to put them because there's no instructions on where I can put them. I just <laughs> determined that about six months ago. You should call the other Hasbro customer service and ask them. <laughs> yes. you know, Marcy, Mark, Mark <laughs> kids, kids find a way. Kids find a way. Oh, yeah. You know, the funniest thing, I'm looking at my box for the Death Star Space Station right now, and, and particularly early on in the line, when you look at a lot of these boxes, they don't call the Star Wars, Star Wars figures Star Wars figures. They call them mini action figures. I find that very charming, that they kind of... They kind of had to identify these these figures because they were three and three quarter inches tall as mini action figures. That's funny that you mentioned that because um, when I was putting the list together of figures, I almost put the description for the three and three quarter inches mini action figures, but I just didn't want to confuse anybody with my email. So yeah, it's <laughs> Jason, Jason, and Mark. That makes complete sense because before, what did we have before? We had the twelve inch GI Joes. We had the 13-inch, uh, six million dollar man, and so yeah. on. These and were most definitely, yeah. 
These were most definitely mini action figures. But but was it? I, I think I've heard recently was Micronauts was the first one to do three and three quarter inch. Is that correct? Uh, Mark, um, Mark, what is your opinion on who, what company did the first three and three quarter inch figures? Uh, I'm not going to say that out loud because if I say one line and get it wrong, I'm going to have someone punch me in the face <laughs> on, uh, on the boards. So I'm going to say, you know, honestly, I'm trying to think. Can we determine this as a group who the first? What was the first, you know, Micronauts is good, but if you look back to what Mego was doing, um, they came out with comic action superheroes, yes. I believe it was in 74 um, or 76, something like that. So they were they were miniature. Oh, and then there was the, uh, the real action heroes or heroes in action that... Um, that another toy company did that were kind of like G.I. Joe's that came out in about 74, 75. So, you know, they were doing them at that point. They just weren't as articulated as Star Wars figures. Yeah, Mark, and you also mentioned that, that the Sears Cantina was was released under this line, this LP line. So, and and that was, um, I've got one. It's cardboard backing with a, some artwork and uh, a couple pegs. To stand your figures 12 white, on? Twelve white foot pegs, just like the ones that came with the early bird kit. Yes. Mark, you, since you have one, what do you, what do you think of this? Uh, what do you think of the Sears Cantina? You know, I, I'm a playset junkie. I love playsets um, more than almost anything else in the world. So I've, I've always wondered why more, more toy companies didn't pick up on what Kenner was doing with... Land of the Jawas, Hoth Adventure Set, um, you know, the Cantina. I, I, I wonder why um, Hasbro didn't do that for their G.I. Joe line. You know, I think Transformers did it once with their Stars Mail-Away headquarters. But I love chipboard playsets. Um, they're cheap. They're easy. You know, kid, kids can play with them. I, I, I'm a playset junkie. I love any... Any exclusive playset, I, I worship it. I just love that stuff. And Tom, do you have this set? Uh, no, I don't. I did have the Cantina, the other Cantina playset, mm-hmm. the one with the plastic uh, base, but I did not get this one. Interesting, because I did not know that this one actually existed until much, much later, late 80s, I would guess. And uh, I didn't even I didn't know there was a blue snaggletooth out there until much later. And uh, yeah, and we will probably get into Blue Snaggletooth maybe on on another on our next vintage episode. But I just wanted that's to a, ask ask that's one an episode thing. onto itself yeah. for sure. The um so when, now I've heard this that the Sears Cantina some of them actually have red Snaggletooth in them, and there's really no way to know unless you open it up. Has anybody ever uh, Mark? Have you heard of you know Have you heard this before too? Or it is true. It is. True. It is true. The figures inside the um, Cantina Adventure set, I have a boxed one. The figures were shipped in either a four-pack box or in two two-pack boxes. Um, there was uh, a Greedo Snaggletooth box that could have the red or the blue variation of Snaggletooth and a Walrus Man Hammerhead box when they were shipped in two-packs. Um, and a toy catalog was put in there as well, but you had no idea what you were getting. So. Uh, <laughs> So that actually kind of that does make it a little interesting for people who are collecting uh, mint and package samples because you you just don't know. <laughs> Got to X-ray it first. <laughs> yeah, hey, I wonder <laughs> if you would that work. I guess maybe 
maybe that maybe that would be possible to actually yeah, it, it. You could probably do that. Take it to yeah. the airport with you and uh, <laughs> ask them to, to give you a little snapshot. I, I have a question for Chris. Chris, did you say you were you were from Germany? Yes. Um, I, I have a question. Um, uh, internationally speaking, was when Star Wars uh, came about here, when it was released in the United States, was the craze for those figures the same in Germany as it was here? Because I remember picking up a, a ton of Star Wars stuff in Belgium. Um, it's kind of hard to answer that because I started collecting, or not collecting, but I started getting the toys when Jedi had come out. and. Okay. Uh, but for those toys, I remember very vividly that every store had these figures um, awesome. and, and tons of them. I mean, there is a ton of product out there for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I guess the answer is, yeah, it, it must have been somewhat equally crazy over there in Germany than what it was here in the States. Hey, Mark, I was uh, I was a kid and uh, I, hey, I was a kid, Mark. Imagine, yeah, imagine that. that. <laughs> no, I was... Uh, um, my parents were German, and we used to go to uh, Germany when I was a kid every summer to help Chris out. Going back a little further, uh, back further than uh, Return of the Jedi, yes, the uh, uh, the Star Wars toys, the Empire Strikes Back toys, those were huge in Germany also. When when I was a child, I uh, with, with Jedi, we had the town that I grew up in had about 10,000 people, so it was a little outside of Munich. And uh, the town center had one toy store, and literally the entire toy store was just full of Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember so, that too, Chris. Yeah. So yeah, it was everywhere. So even in in the small towns, so for sure. Wow. Yeah, there were the, the great thing about Germany is they have you know you walk into a, a Kmart or a Payless back then, but in Germany they had small dedicated toy stores. That and that's what I loved st- about Europe. Exactly. Exactly. They still have them now. Um, but yeah, that, that was that was great to walk into a toy store and, and have have just see Star Wars toys all over the place. It was it was really cool. Do you remember that, Mark, uh, from uh, Belgium? Obviously, you, you know, must have. I I remember. Um, I know that you know, as we all know in Europe, Playmobil and Lego reign supreme, particularly Playmobil. Oh, yeah. And I love Playmobil, and I collect as much Playmobil as I possibly can. I have boxes of Playmobil dinosaurs in my basement that I need to open right now. <laughs> but I remember finding really, um, you know, I, I find my Star Wars stuff, and I get what I want. Um, and I remember finding really odd stuff, too, like Battle of the Planets, three and three quarter inch action figures, mint on card that I bought. And to this day, I still haven't been... been able to replace because they were they're so expensive um but but there's something very comforting about traveling to to western or eastern europe and still finding the product i remember buying uh, my luke skywalker and bespin fatigues in the brussels airport um mm-hmm. and i was just so excited that that you know star wars transcended you know the boundaries of nations and i was like oh i got and it was a new figure and i'm like wow they have a new Luke Skywalker figure in an airport. Awesome. <laughs> so I was psyched. That is awesome. So, uh, Mark, I don't know if, we're, if you can, if this is something you could talk about, but um, um, I've kind of, by just following you on Facebook, uh, I kind of picked up that you're potentially working on a, a book about vintage Kenner Star Wars action figures. Is is that true? Is that something you can talk about? Or I, I cannot 
talk about that right now. I would love to one day. Okay. Um, you know, what I'll say right now is my collection for vintage. When I put together a book, I'm I, when I buy toys, I play with them. So I'm not a mint and sealed box guy. If I'm going to buy something, I want it to be mint loose complete with all paperwork if possible. Um, because, you know, I'm all about being able to to play with it and being able to relate exactly what that toy does. And I would say I'm about 98% done. Um, I finished the mini action figure collector cases last year, which was a bear because I had to find the, the one with the prototype Boba Fett insert. I got my, you know, I got my Boba Fett um, uh, in the mailer box. Um, but my rule for putting together a book, if I were to potentially put together a vintage Star Wars Kenner book, is I only include what was released to the general public. Even if it was for a limited amount of time, that's all I'm going to put in the book. So what that means is a vinyl cape Jawa would be in that book because it was available to the general public even for a limited amount of time, but a rocket-firing Boba Fett would not be included because that never made it to us. So uh, that's that's what I can comment on now okay. because I have okay. seen lots of NDAs and I work for a, 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 a couple different publishing companies, so I can't really talk about it yet. Mm-hmm. I would love to. Fair enough. Okay, so let's uh, let's just move through a couple more things before we wrap up this LP era. Plush. There was a plush Chewbacca and a plush R2-D2. Did anybody have these as a kid? No. Nope. No. Nope. I didn't either. I didn't even know anyone that had them. Anybody have them now as an adult? No. Nope. nope. Ryan, <laughs> no. Ryan, you collect them all from from, from Bendems to the Black <laughs> series. You don't have a plush Chewbacca or R2-D2? I, I, I don't have... I mean, my vintage line isn't complete as it is. I still no, have I some know. yak face for the action figures. <laughs> no, uh, I've seen the, the vintage Chewbacca, at least. I've seen some friends who have them, but uh, no, I, I don't own one. Okay. I, Ryan, I think you can get both at the Toy Stable. <laughs> you probably could. I, I would be Go smart. to toystable.com. I'll tell you, that is one of the greatest vintage shops. Lynn and Dick at, at the Toy Stable, I've gotten so much crap from them, particularly for the minor toy lines. Oh, they're awesome. Toy Stable. Mark, i got to tell you, the uh, folks that you're talking to, Jason, Chris, Ryan, myself, we all live maybe about an hour away from the Toy Stable. I live about 40, 40 minutes away. We are lucky, lucky to live here SLBs. in the Northwest. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, I live yes, in occasionally. They're wonderful, wonderful people. People. Any visit to have, to include a, folks, a if you haven't checked out the Toy Stable, definitely check them out online. And if you're in the Seattle Tacoma area, walk, uh, run, don't walk. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And send them your list. If you have an obscure toy line that you're looking for, they get so much stuff in from Wheeled Warriors to Monster in My Pocket. Send them a list and they'll get it for you. <laughs> okay, so. There were a couple of roleplay items released, the three-position laser rifle, the laser pistol, the inflatable lightsaber, and I'm going to include it with this line, with this category, the Luke Skywalker AM headset radio. I had the laser, I had the laser pistol, which to me was the Han Solo laser pistol. Uh, made some interesting noises when you'd squeeze the trigger. Uh, Tom, did you have... And I also had the inflatable lightsaber, which uh, was not well-constructed. <laughs> Tom, Tom, no. did you have any of these? 
I had none of these. No, of my uh, laser pistol was a stick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, uh, friends of mine had these. Um, these were amazing to play with when you were a kid. Um, these were probably a, uh, as cool, if not cooler, than the figures. Uh, these were great. Here, I did here. not have them. Yeah. Um, uh, boo, for, boo, boo for me. Uh, Ryan. Um, no, I didn't have any of the roleplay stuff until the Han Solo Blaster came along. That was my first one. And I'm sad to say I never owned any of the vintage lightsabers. In fact, I still don't. That's one of my things to get one of these days. Is not necessarily the, the inflatable one, but the uh, the giant tube lightsaber I still never owned. And the, uh, I loved them as a kid. I would put the inflatable inflatable lightsaber kind of in the same uh, quality. Not not yeah, the same durability level is like a Stretch Armstrong figure. <laughs> if if not less. Yeah. If not less. Yeah. I remember I I got the inflatable lightsaber as a gift. I I don't remember. It might have been my birthday. It lasted. Um, I remember playing with it one night and then it was done. <laughs> wow. But uh, it was fun while it lasted, and I and so, I did. So did you call up Kenner because they really do care? Or oh, no, that's Hasbro. No. no. <laughs> and Jason, Jason, yeah. those were expensive too. Were they? Um, they were. I remember. Uh, do you guys remember a chain of automobile and weirds called Western Auto? Uh, yes, I, I do. Yes, yes I do. Western Western Auto. For some reason, they must have had a license with Kenner. Because they had um, six million dollar man figures there, a lot, and they also had Star Wars or yeah, Star Wars figures there. And I remember there was a an inflatable lightsaber from seventy eight there or from seventy eight seventy nine, and it was in kind of in a damaged box. And I remember going there once every couple of weeks and seeing that the price was dropped from like I think it was like twelve ninety nine. It was something really expensive. Twelve ninety nine down to nine ninety nine, and I said, okay, when it makes like three ninety nine, I'm gonna buy it. And of course, after it was dropped down to four ninety nine, someone grabbed it. So I, I never got it. But those are super delicate. They're very very rare too. I think I'd like to have one one day, but um, you know, I'm I'm not into the role play items. I I try and limit it to the action figures and weapons and accessories. The the memory the memory of my uh, inflatable lightsaber only lasting 24 hours, kind of haunted me <laughs> to some extent. So at Celebration 5 in Orlando in 2010, someone had one complete, never used, in the box, and wow. I grabbed it. <laughs> and I have it now. And I actually have the box the box awesome. right next to me. So And it broke again after 24 hours. It did not. I, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say not. that, Chris. Now, Just for old time's sake. <laughs> The laser pistols and the laser pistol and the, and the three position rifle are very cool. They they continued to use that mold into the '90s, I think, when they started bringing stuff back. But I think are you they started, kidding? They're still using that same uh, yeah. laser rifle mold now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But they 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 paint them orange and purple and whatever color doesn't look like a gun. I think. Right. Did anyone have the Luke Skywalker AM headset radio, or did anybody know anybody that had one of these? I did not. The closest thing that I came to was the uh, $6 million man uh, AM crystal headset, which was, I think, pretty close. What's that? Tom, I think it was the same mold, right? I think it might have been, yeah. I think Tanner used the the $6 million man mold that Tom's talking about for uh, for the Luke Skywalker AM. So maybe I can say yes, sort of, kind of. Mark, I, th- I think you're absolutely right on that. I'm, I believe it was the exact same old. 
And they also had a couple of just what I call viewers. Um, one was a give a show, which was a slideshow. You could uh, had like a little a little projector. You'd put a, some batteries in it, and you'd, you'd you'd run these slides through of not not the film, but some 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 artists uh, some artists interpretations of the film. Kind of it looked kind of like a cartoon type drawings. Um, my next door neighbor had one of those, and it was a lot of fun. Um, anybody else have a give a show? Uh, I have a superhero give a show projector, but I don't have a Star Wars give a show. There's actually a website that you can actually watch the give a show from, wow. from the Star Wars on. I don't remember the name of the website, but when I figure it out, I'll put it on our Facebook page. I'm sure you could probably find it on YouTube, too. Yeah. And they also offered a mo- uh, movie viewers, which were uh, little handheld uh, viewers where you turn the crank, you put a cassette in it, and you could watch some 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 you know some edited a small amount of edited scenes from from the film. Uh, it came with a May the Force Be With You cassette, but additional cassettes were made available. One was called Assault on Death Star. Uh, there's also Battle in Hyperspace, Danger at the Cantina, and Destroy Death Star. I have one of these, and it's still fun to use. Um, anybody have any uh, memories of these? Tons of them. I uh, actually, I didn't have the additional cassettes, but I guess I got the one. What was it? The May the Force Be With You cassette right, that came with that the movie viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Forwards, backwards. Um, it was great because well, the interesting thing was you had to. It, there was a little dial that you kind of had to move around, so it was kind of a. a you had to hold it to your eye to look through the lens, and then you had to kind of crank it crank the little dial there to make the uh, the film go and actually you had to you couldn't watch it in a dark room because there was a little a little clear piece of um, plastic that uh, the light would come through so it would actually reflect on the film that was inside so you could actually see it so you had to kind of be in a lit room or somewhat of a lit room uh, to watch the uh, to watch that cassette did, did you have one Jason? I didn't as a kid, but I uh, I knew someone that had one, and and, and it was fun to use because any chance to see any scene from Star Wars, which you know in the late '70s was impossible unless you went to the movie theater. Yeah, so. these were these were great. These were probably the closest thing you could get to mm. watching it. You know when right. when you couldn't watch the film, right. so it was it was cool. I I loved it. This was one of my favorite toys back yeah. then for sure. Yep. And also, the LP era offered up bot bags, R2-D2 and Darth Vader. They were the first two released, and there were a couple others after that. But for the, as far as the initial LP packaging, I think it's just R2-D2 and Darth Vader. Uh, I, ha- I actually have one of the R2-D2 ones now that I got as an adult, but uh, didn't have any of these as a kid. Anybody have the bot bags? I think my friend Ricky had the R2-D2. And it was one of those things where, you know, a month after Christmas, he was a little bit looking a little peaked then you know by that summer he was just he couldn't hold any air and you know then he just became kind of a beanbag (laughs) (laughs) okay also there was radio controlled r2d2 hey i have this one okay ryan tell us about you do have one of these i i i didn't have as a kid but i do own one now um uh is he in scale with the 12 inch figures no it's it's bigger it's it's much bigger than the 12 yeah he's he's a little bigger for sure um, and it comes with a very similar uh, remote control to the um, the sand crawler that would come out. But uh, I, I don't think I've ever had mine be able to run, so I couldn't tell you how well it runs. 
and the plastic's yellowing like crazy. But um, it's it's a little different. Like the 12 inch scale R2D2, like looks like a really a pretty good rep- representation of the character. The uh, remote control one, the dome is more like a half circle, like or just a half sphere, if you will. Whereas the actual R2 dome is a little more in the half a sphere, if you know what I mean. And yeah. uh, so it, it's slightly off a little bit, but uh, it's a it's a decent toy. I mean, I picked it up for a really good price sometime in the '90s, um, and I'm glad I have it. But it's definitely it's much bigger than the 12 inch scale R2D2. Does he? Now I've heard, or I was crazy falling asleep on Ambien or something. I've heard that he came with a kind of a um, an obstacle course or a map or something in the package. Am I crazy? Am I going crazy right now? I don't know. I'm going to go to the archive for that one. <laughs> I thought that the remote control R2-D2 may have come with some sort of obstacle course that you can make him run, or I don't know. But uh, all I know is that when you, if you can get that working, it's a really cool toy. I've watched, I've watched the commercial, uh, the Kenner commercial on YouTube for the radio-controlled R2-D2 a couple of times, and it has a, a really um, distinct sound. It, it looks, at least from the commercial... It has that kind of sound that my dad would have taken the batteries out of it and never, <laughs> <laughs> never let me use it again. Hey, J- Jason, do you think the uh, remote control R2 is kind of like tow war? You know, you clicked yes. it once and he'd spin around like an idiot. You click it again and then he'd straighten out and go forward. Oh, I had tow war. I, ha- I got tow war Christmas of 79. <laughs> I loved tow war. You know, uh, Tobor is robot spelled backwards. But it was one of those things where when the batteries ran out, which was probably, you know, within two or three days max, uh, it was one of those things my parents never replaced the batteries for it. So that was it for Tobor. These, these, quote, unquote, remote control toys were so great. I mean, they would just spin around and you'd click it once and then it goes straight. You click it again and then it'd spin around again. Remote control, eh, sort of. Yeah, it yeah. kind of worked. Um, the great okay, thing, okay, I, I found it. I found it, guys. Apparently, okay. you know how they did special offers sometimes in Star Wars packages with this radio yeah. control. Yes. R two D with this radio control remote control R two D two radio control. Um, there was a special offer of some sort of obstacle course that was packaged in the later. Um, no, that looks like it's in an LP box. Interesting. Uh, special offer remote control R2-D2 with obstacle course. So apparently it, some of them did come with kind of a bonus packaged in. Hmm. Interesting. That would be really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, never, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. A lot of us know what the remote control R2 looks like, but uh, to see the obstacle course would be a special little treat for sure. Yeah. All right. Next, Star Wars Kenner, Star Wars Kenner SW SSP van sets. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why now, Ryan? Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing, uh, Ryan? This has got to be one of the silliest things they did. They did. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen, kid. This was 1978. We had <laughs> trucking, we had custom vans, and we had Star Wars. <laughs> Put them all together. What do you got? I remember something, the custom vans. Awesome. But but did the custom vans really needed to come so that they would that you you could do the pull strip or whatever and make them go fast. I mean, I had these and I loved them. Thanks, Tom, you Ryan. had these? I did. Oh my! You were the only person I know that that had these. 
I had the Luke Skywalker white. Well, it was I think it was the Star Wars gang with the uh, the R two top kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was such a great toy. I loved it. Yeah. I loved Vans. Uh, it's so weird. The seventies were such a weird weird time. But this made you know it. It seems bizarre now, but it makes it made so <laughs> made so much sense back then. Kids loved um, car shows and. Uh, uh, the Dukes of Hazard and all that stuff—it just makes sense to put Star Wars on a on a van that you could race around with sparks and stuff. It was just awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Um, now these were packaged a couple different ways. You could buy a set that had both vans in them, the, the right. villains mm-hmm. and the heroes, and also the heroes van was packaged separately. What I don't know is if the villains van set was packaged separately. I don't think it was, but I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Darn good question. I don't know. I do know that I did have the hero van, though. I love that thing. If you're a uh, Mark, Mark, do you happen to know uh, if the if the villains van set was made available? I don't know. I've I've only seen the. I know that the 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 set together is quite expensive, and I've only seen the van set together and the the heroes van. So I wouldn't know. Um, ephemera like that, you know, uh, you know, as far as I go, is like Star Wars play play doh, but that's about mm-hmm. it. Chris, uh, bringing you back into the conversation, any plans to put the uh, van set on JediBusiness.com? Not a chance. Chris. Not a chance. I think these go well with the choppers from 2006 or something. That's exactly what I was thinking, Jason. (laughs) You know, I think, uh, Ryan, we were talking about uh, crossovers and (coughs) angry birds. We are talking about uh, crossovers and stuff like that. I think this probably might have been the first crossover in the Star Wars universe, toy universe. You could be very, you very well be right there, yes. So uh, let's move to the uh, the Play-Doh Star Wars action set. My next door neighbor Ronnie had this set, and it was pretty. It was fun. I liked Play-Doh. I liked Star Wars. What could go wrong? Uh, Tom, any any experience with Play-Doh Star Wars action set? You know, the th- I'm going to go back to the Death Star now. I know exactly why I wasn't given the Death Star when I was a kid. I would have eaten the foam, and I would have eaten the Play-Doh. I was, I, was, I was kept away from possibly edible toys, so no, I did not have the Play-Doh Star Wars action set. Anyone else out there have this? I had it back then. I have since replaced it. It's uh, It's interesting because you can actually... It comes with an X-Wing fighter. You can actually mold lightsabers for Darth Vader to hold. It's pretty cool mm-hmm. for Play-Doh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, finally, the uh, final item I have as far as LP items, and I know there's probably people listening saying, but you forgot this or you forgot that or why didn't you mention this? And uh, definitely, if you can think of some things we forgot, email us at uh, galaxyoftoys at gmail.com. Let us know what we might have forgot. Now, I Jason, will... Jason, before you go on, I just want to tell everybody listening, yes. this last item is completely self-serving to Jason. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Okay. Self-serving. Okay, well, here it is. Uh, I saw Star Wars, and the vi- I saw Star Wars in the theater, you know, when it came out. The very first item, the very first Star Wars item I ever received or ever convinced my parents to get for me was the Star Wars electronic toothbrush or just simply known as the Star Wars toothbrush on the packaging. This was the greatest thing at the time I had ever seen. 
as far as I was concerned, it was a lightsaber. Uh, why it had a toothbrush on the end of it, I didn't know. I didn't care. It was just awesome. And I am not sure why Kenner decided to get into the uh, toothbrush business. Um, I think the mold is... <laughs> but they did. The mold is based on the uh, $6 million man uh, electric electronic toothbrush or electric toothbrush. So it's probably one of those things where they were trying to get some products out and just said, hey, let's slap Star Wars on this, and it got through. But uh, to this day, it's one of my favorite items. I, I have another. I have a, a one that's mint on card. Because um, this was the thing that once the toothbrushes went bad, my parents threw it away, and I wasn't old enough to control what they were throwing, you know, what toys or what things they were throwing away at the time. So I love this thing, and uh, I still to this day collect Star Wars toothbrushes. I have a not a huge collection of Star Wars toothbrushes, but I've got a decent sized collection. <laughs> I think it's all because this is the first item I ever received. Anyone else have the Star Wars electronic toothbrush? No, Jason, Sorry. we don't, okay? All right, we don't. <laughs> you should get one. <laughs> everybody everybody laughs at my vans. No one, bats, no one bats an eye with the toothbrush. Ironic. It's interesting that a toy Very company was making toothbrushes. I guess, I guess it was kind of a, a fad of some... That is, you know. that is weird, you know? Yeah. Um, so you were... Uh, would you say that uh, your uh, cavity uh, count uh, kind of diminished during that uh, era? Jason? Yeah. They didn't make any Star Wars toothpaste to go to go with it. Perhaps uh, that was a bit... Kenner probably just couldn't go that far. So I think Colgate did some Star Wars-related stuff, but that's... Yeah, that's, that was later that's another pod, That's now. another podcast. That's another podcast. I, I, Tom, I actually have that toothpaste from the 90s. <laughs> awesome. Actual toothpaste. With actual toothpaste inside, yes. It's, it's all there. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So um, I'm just going to go around, and that's you know that's pretty much going to wrap up the show. But I just – well, I just wanted to get everybody's um, you know final thoughts on the LP era. Well, what's, what's give, to give say? Me, I give mean, me a final thought. This is Jerry Springer. Give me a final thought. <laughs> this era is the best era to collect it's the most fun. This is what started it all. I love it. This is where I'm at. It's great. This is uh, this is my collection right here. <laughs> the van set included. Ryan, final thoughts on the uh, LP era of Star Wars of Kenner Star Wars products. It, it's such a good start to, to something that I mean. Look at where it's come today. Um, there are, some of the quality on these isn't the best. But, uh, you know, if it wasn't for this stuff, we, we wouldn't have Star Wars figures today, let's face it. This was the beginning of something much larger. Um, and it's, it's fun to go and be nostalgic and look back at all this fun stuff. Uh, Chris. Takes you back, takes you back to uh, being a kid right there. Chris? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Chris, I really... There's not much more I can add to what, what Tom and Ryan just said. I mean, you know, iconic, classic. I mean, they did just such a great job back then uh, with with their product line that, you know, like Ryan said, I mean, we're still collecting modern figures now. And then if it wasn't for Kenner back then, we, we wouldn't be doing that. So. And Mark, final thoughts on the LP era of Star Wars Kenner uh, products? You know, up to this point in my collecting career, I was just straight up a superhero guy. That I lived and breathed, you know, Spider-Man and Batman, and I remember seeing, you know, Star Wars for the first time, and I think that that just changed my entire mentality. Um, you know, they were less poseable, but they were, in my opinion, better figures. I mean, they they just 
I think Star Wars is the reason why I write toy books today. I mean, as I've I've written a GI Joe book, I've written a Transformers book, I've written four IDW. I've never written anything on Star Wars yet. Star Wars was the first line I really I think fell in love with, and this is the reason. Anyone who's going to start collecting vintage Star Wars should probably start you know with this stuff, like everybody else has said. This is the most iconic stuff. Okay, and thank you, Mark. And with that, I'd like to thank uh, my co-hosts tonight for for joining us again, Tom. Best episode ever. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thanks, Mark. <laughs> and Chris. Well, thanks for having me on, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show. So great listening to you guys. Great listening to you guys and uh, uh, learning something about some of the stuff. So awesome. And Ryan, thanks for uh, for again co-hosting the show. Absolutely, it's a pleasure to be on. And Mark. A big thanks to you for being our special guest uh, host tonight. And uh, any, where can people can people connect with you if they want to? Is there any? Uh... I'm on the uh, I'm on the, the Facebook the uh, that site there. Any listen, anyone who emails me about anything about toys, you'll get a response within an hour. Um, any questions you have about any toy line, um, it's you know I'm I write books because I'm a fan of toys. Um, I collect just like everybody else does. I just got lucky somehow. So anyone who wants to ask me anything, just do a, a search in Google and you'll find me and get me on Facebook. Okay. And I'd just like to remind everyone, you can email us at galaxyoftoys at gmail.com. Also connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash galaxyoftoys. That's the show for tonight. We'll see you in a, you know a couple weeks, maybe two or three weeks. We'll be back. And uh, good night, but not goodbye. Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend. And then so long, friend. The nights get shorter, it seems. Just one more rhyme, friend. Yes, it's a crime, friend. But you know time, friend. Time can fly. So it's good night, friend. Good night, but not goodbye.